I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Don't just keep wandering around the desert when the range is wide open. Come on in. It's high noon for Wednesday, October 20th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. And before we get started, just a correction from yesterday. I misspoke and said that Kamala Harris's parents were the slave owners in Jamaica. And what I meant to say was like great, great grandparents. So I totally flubbed that one and didn't want to just let that go unsaid. I wasn't trying to make my point extra hard by claiming it was her parents. It was not her parents. She is a descendant of slave owners. That would have been more accurate. So. If you were thrown off by that, I hope this makes it all better. Today is the 273rd day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You voted for Joe Biden so that you could save every last person in the world. And of course you did. You're a saint. And everyone knows it. But the problem is, there's this certain set of people out there who don't believe that you actually saved them. And you can't have that. You're a saint. So what do you do? Well, you figure out a way to eliminate all those people so that you can go back to believing that you have saved 100% of people. And this is basically the Joe Biden strategy on getting everyone in a company vaccinated. I think it was uh, United Airlines he was talking about a couple of weeks ago when he said that they had gone from 67% vaccination to 99% vaccination. And all it took to achieve that miraculous result was to put mandates in place and then fire all the people who didn't comply with the mandate. Perfect. 99%. That's amazing. Now, if you're the sort of commie who was going along with this the entire time and you have gotten to the point where you're thinking, man, it's getting harder and harder to base my morality on easily detectable statistical manipulations, well, here's what you have to do. You just have to see it for what it is and then speak honestly about what it is. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with other people. And once you begin to do that, you will start to see your position relative to certain people change. They will not feel the same about you. They'll wonder, hey, why is this person starting to tell the truth? I thought we all agreed to lie about this set of things. And initially, that's going to feel very strange. You will think, hey, I thought we were all friends. I thought we liked each other. Turns out, nope. You are useful. You are useful so long as you repeat the slogans. Not to everybody, just to certain people. But those people will begin to reject you and you're going to have to plow on through that and realize if they now hate me because I told the truth, 
perhaps they never really liked me. And when you get to that point, that will be when you're ready to leave all of the stupid and evil communist ideas behind because a new world will open in front of you and you'll think, wow, have I been as terrible to others as these people are to me? And you're going to say, yep, I guess I have. At that point, all you have to do is go make amends with those people that you've been terrible to. And I am betting that not only will they forgive you, they will welcome you with open arms and they will say, man, Kami, that took way longer than I thought it would, but it's great to have you back on the way to being American. And then at that point, all you got to do is migrate back to America. And then here you are. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Wednesday, high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome back to America, commies. It's better over here. Trust me. A little scarier. Yeah. Not quite as comfortable. Not quite as cozy at first. Okay. I'm with you so far, commie. I get it. It's a little bit harder on this side. You don't have the media telling you you're right all the time. You don't have the tech companies censoring all the no-no words. So that you never have to feel bad. So that you never have to think that someone might have an idea that's contrary to yours. You don't have that advantage anymore. Because now you're saying the no-no words. Now you're the one that's censored. You're just going to have to get used to it for a little while, but not that long, because the thing is, every time a redeemable communist migrates back to America, that's one more American in the fight to get all the rest of the Americans back to America. And, you know, there's going to be some communists that don't want to come back to America, and they're going to have a very hard time. It is what it is. We tried. We tried. We extended uh, an olive branch. And yeah, maybe it would have worked better if it was shaped like a syringe. But it's kind of hard to find olive branches that look like that. So yesterday we were talking about the Virginia governor's race and the career criminal and corrupt politician, Terry McAuliffe, who is a Clinton lackey. And he is ready to get his grand prize of his life being Virginia governor again. But Terry's been having an awfully difficult time becoming governor again because it turns out that almost everything he says he believes in is something that Americans can't stand. This is from The Federalist on Monday. McAuliffe agrees public schools should not tell parents if their child is gender fluid. This is from Nick Bell. Imagine the following as a Glenn Youngkin ad. The number of youth confused about their gender is up over a thousand percent. If it's your child, Terry McAuliffe doesn't think you should know about their struggle. He would force schools to hide a student's new name and pronouns from parents. He even supports policies where schools use the child's birth name with parents, but a different name at school. New genders without parental consent. Pitting parents against children. Terry McAuliffe's education agenda is bad for Virginia. Shockingly, these claims are true. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam signed a bill into law in March 2020 that mandates the Virginia Department of Education develop, quote, Model policies concerning the treatment of transgender students in public elementary and secondary schools, end quote. The model policies came out in April of this year, and they are frightening. McAuliffe proudly endorses them on his website. They mandate co-ed bathrooms for all, force teachers and students to accept and use new names and pronouns, and clear the way for boys to participate in girls' sports. All school boards in Virginia were required to have adopted the model policies by the start of the current school year. Many Virginia school boards have passed the model policies, while others have bravely rejected them. In a high-profile case, a teacher in Loudoun County was placed on leave in May for refusing to comply with its version. The Virginia Department of Education 
has even threatened school superintendents that schools will be on the hook for civil damages that result from noncompliance. The most pernicious aspect of the model policies is the alarming mandate that schools not tell parents if their son or daughter has adopted a new gender at school. Quote, if a student is not ready or able to safely share with their family about their gender identity, this should be respected, end quote. The policies even suggest teachers use a child's birth name with parents, but a name of the opposite sex at school. Apparently, McAuliffe has no objection to schools giving teachers the green light to deceive parents about their children's adoption of a false identity. The model policies continue. For example, a plan may include addressing the student at school with their name and pronoun consistent with their gender identity while using the legal name and pronoun associated with the sex assigned at birth when communicating with parents or guardians, end quote. Few people agree with the lie pushed by the media and corporate America that one can change one's sex when it's one's own child who might be affected as school districts actively work to delude you. The danger becomes much more concrete. One hardly needs to be a Christian or a conservative to find the prospect horrifying. Unfortunately, this scenario is also far from some distant possibility. Adolescents have seen a tenfold increase in gender dysphoria in the last decade. Conventional wisdom dictates that establishing a strong contrast with McAuliffe on this matter makes gubernatorial candidate Glenn Youngkin appear to take a side in the culture wars, which in turn could motivate suburbanites in left-leaning northern Virginia to turn out for McAuliffe. However, this new policy is so perverse that outraged normal parents would far outnumber any newly energized far-left voters. Youngkin has already launched a digital ad that hits McAuliffe hard for vetoing bills that would require schools to inform parents of sexually explicit school content. The ad also highlights McAuliffe's belief that parents should not be telling schools what to teach. Schools hiding pronoun changes from parents would complement Youngkin's theme of keeping parents in the dark. Youngkin is certainly correct that McAuliffe's vetoes are inexcusable, but they pale in comparison to the consequences of denying parents the opportunity to save their children from living a lie that sets them on an irreversible pathway to infertility, inhumane surgical procedures, and mental anguish. In this case, the right thing for families of all political persuasions also happens to be excellent politics. This is Youngkin's opportunity to put himself over the edge and prevent his opponent from cementing this dystopian nightmare in Virginia's public schools. Okay, so this is pretty sick on its face, obviously, especially when you consider the sorts of peer pressures that are common at school, in junior high, in high school. All of us, I imagine that I don't have any children listening to this podcast. So all of us have actually experienced that in our lives. We know that when we are that age, when we are teenagers, it is difficult to resist pressure from friends to conform to what they are doing. And if we have a set of teachers acting out what the school board commands and the school board is acting out what the politicians on the left command, then what we have is a culture where kids are being peer pressured into becoming non-binary, into identifying as non-binary. And we know that they are incentivized to take on this identity. They receive credit for being a person that they simply are not. And I don't just mean the difference in gender because they clearly do not change from a boy into a girl or a girl into a boy just because they were peer pressured into saying they have. That's not actually how anything works in the real world. But beyond that, they get to identify as a victim. They get to identify as oppressed. And then they begin to reap the rewards of a society that incentivizes victimhood. And all of that seems rather obvious. But what seems less obvious is this. We have a culture where adults are treating other people's children as if they too are adults and that they are able to weigh the long-term consequences of their decisions, for instance, or that they have 
achieved a level of sexual maturity where they could understand what this decision even means. And that's just not true. But they don't seem to care because the people on the left believe that it is good that children are exposed to this manner of thinking and to this subject matter. They think it's actually good that the children will learn all of this from a young age because it gives them some advantage in navigating the world. Of course, there's no reason to believe that that's true. It's like they want to assume the job of being the child's parent. And then once they are looked at that way by the child, they decide not to do any parenting. They just let the child do whatever they want. They encourage them to believe that whatever expression of self they decide to make is now to be treated as the decision of an adult who has properly weighed all the risks and rewards, all the incentives, all the drawbacks. And then you can imagine what the next step would be. The next step, once you have imagined these children to simply be adults who aren't of adult age yet is for them to actually be sexualized in a way that society approves of. And that's the path we're on. And you got to think at some point that maybe we're on that path because someone wants that result. And the other sick part of this is that they are doing this to drive a wedge between children and their parents. And they're doing it at a stage where the child is naturally predisposed to rebellion. What could be more rebellious for a child than declaring that they are not the, the sex that they actually are? Like, hey, dad, I'm just a girl now. Hey, mom, you thought you had a daughter? Well, turns out you have a sparkle gender. Am I a son? Nope. Daughter? Nope. What can you call me? Well, you can call me whatever I tell you to call me at whatever time I tell you to call me that. And the school then is on the child's side. The child then takes an allegiance with the school over their own parents. And the school, of course, is just an instrument of the state. So now you've made an allegiance between the child and the state in an adversarial position to the child's own parents. Everything the Democrat Communist Party tries to do is aimed at tearing down the nuclear family. Black Lives Matter had it in their agenda that they published on their website. They eventually took it down. But the destruction of the nuclear family is part of their goal. And this is an extraordinarily sick way of going about it. And Terry McAuliffe actually had a pretty bad time last night. He was doing an interview. It looked like it was a local Virginia reporter. And the reporter was asking questions about crime, critical race theory, and whether or not he aligned himself with the Biden DOJ in their effort to silence parents at school board meetings. McAuliffe answered that he doesn't even know about that issue. That's not his business. That's the business of the Biden Department of Justice. Why would the governor of Virginia weigh in on an issue like that when it only affects all of Virginia's citizens? And he got up and stormed off. He ended the interview and told the reporter he should have been asking better questions. Apparently, he just wanted softballs thrown to him so that he could repeat the Democrat Communist Party's slogans of the moment, and that would make him look good, apparently, and then he would leave. Job well done. That's all you have to do when you are the sort of candidate who gets to win due to election fraud. You don't really have to answer the questions of reporters. You just have to repeat the slogans enough times so that all anyone ever sees 
is the slogans. And they'll be like, well, you know, there's not a lot to uh, Terry McAuliffe. Doesn't seem like that honest a guy, but at least he's got a D next to his name. It would almost be less insulting if every candidate for the Democrat Communist Party just did what Joe Biden did and chose not to campaign at all. Just stay in the basement, let people repeat the slogans for you, and then steal the election. Okay? Just do it. That's honest. That's straightforward. We can all understand that. You don't need to insult everybody's intelligence by pretending to campaign and pretending to care about what voters want. And speaking of what voters actually want, President Trump's spokesperson, Liz Harrington, visited with Natalie Harp on OAN last night. Check this out. Bill Cassidy gets President Trump's endorsement in the primaries. Like Mitch McConnell, they win. Nothing happened in 2020. It's all perfect. It's the party of rhinos now. You know, Natalie, it's totally predictable. These rhinos come out there with no uh, appreciation of who actually got them in office in the first place. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then no appreciation for how those voters now feel. I mean, that the fact that he was censured and if he doesn't bat an eye at it, tells you everything you need to know about Bill Cassidy. But those other comments as well from Asa Hutchinson are very revealing. He's got it completely backwards. If we don't relitigate 2020, we're going to relive 2020 in 2022. And we're going to see it over and over again. We, we see mail-in ballots, how they are used to cheat in elections. And if we don't get to the bottom of 2020 and fix it for what happened there in our Americans and our votes that were taken away, then there's not going to be an outcome in 2022 that the American people are going to accept. And worst of all, they're going to be so discouraged that they'll think that their vote doesn't matter because we didn't address the problems that led to the greatest fraud in the history of our country, Joe Biden and so-called 81 million votes. That didn't happen. And if we don't get to the bottom of it, we're not going to have a country. So I mentioned this yesterday in the context of the RNC's support in Virginia. They think that they have devised a system where they're going to be able to monitor monitor the election to such an extent that they're able to make sure that the election is not stolen. And I doubt that the RNC is inclined to actually do that. And if they are, the only reason they might be is to fix the narrative on election fraud for themselves to the point where they can go out and say election fraud isn't real. Look at this. We just flipped Virginia after Biden won by 10. So election fraud is not the problem. All we need to do is pay a lot of attention and then election fraud goes away. So stop with the audits. Stop trying to figure out new laws. Let our election system stay in place as it is. And we'll just be a little bit more responsible about making sure the outcome is legitimate. Now, that doesn't work at all because that's what they were supposed to be doing last fall, isn't it? Weren't they supposed to be watching everything? And why would they take up the mantle of watching elections now if there was nothing wrong in 2020? They're just doing it to appease the voters? Of course not. The RNC and Ronna Romney don't care about the voters at all. They've made that extraordinarily clear. They do not care about their own base. They believe that the elites in their party can do the things necessary to get those base voters, the MAGA voters, the America First voters, to go along with the Republican agenda anyway. And my concern is that they're going to use this to cement that idea that the Republicans, yeah, you know, they didn't fight very hard for President Trump, but President Trump is so offensive. That's why they just couldn't do it. But don't worry, guys. Everything is back to normal. Now we're going to win elections again. And it won't just be rhinos. Occasionally, we'll let a Trump endorsed candidate win. But all they need is enough rhinos to side with the Democrat communists in Congress 
and then they can thwart everything America first wants to achieve just like they did between 2016 and 2020. All they want is to get back to that system. And jumping ahead in the interview a bit, Natalie Harp set up a question about the disaster at the border and the disaster in Afghanistan. Listen to Liz Harrington's response. It's absolutely disgusting because they lied about it. They claim this was a high-profile ISIS-K bomb maker, and it wasn't. They didn't know who this person was, and then it turns out it's a U.S. aid worker and seven kids. And and then when they finally admit the truth uh, that they just slaughtered an innocent family, what do they say? Oh, no one's going to be fired. Well, everybody needs to be fired. This entire illegitimate regime Everything that we're seeing here, they need to go because all of this is, and we've talked about it so many times before, Natalie, all of this is poison fruit from a stolen election tree. That's what this is, and it's just going to get worse. We've seen it in Afghanistan. We've seen it in the border. They do not care because they're not accountable to the voters. That's what they think, but they're wrong. Do you think anything's going to happen in terms of accountability? We always ask this question. Republicans write letters. They don't really even pursue impeachment as hard as the Democrats did with no evidence. But we're eight months into this thing. And what are we really going to do about it? Because look at how much damage they've already done. We're never going to get accountability until we actually get the real results of the election. Do we actually hold real hearings, not kicking the can down the road like we saw in Georgia today? We need to see the evidence. We have so much. We need to air it in the public. You at your network are doing such a great job doing that. But until we get Republicans on board, and exactly right, we could have 10 special counsels going, for, let alone the Hunter Biden laptop. I mean, no one's talking about that. The shady deals with China, giving Bagram to China. There's so much scandals here. They could go for endless for years and they could actually get their money's worth spending 48 million dollars. But they're not doing that. So Republicans need to get back to work, at least get in the media and start talking about these things, because right now it's only a, a very small few patriotic Americans who aren't giving up and they actually represent the vast majority of the American people. It's so true. Now, naturally, I love this because I have been talking about the illegitimacy of the Biden regime since day one. And it is wonderful that Liz Harrington is going at these issues directly, not mincing words, not speaking in a way that will please the party of false decorum or the RNC or any of the other interests that would seek to silence this direct language. I love this. And as President Trump's spokesperson, obviously, she is saying these things as the public voice of the president when he is not speaking, which means that the Trump team is going directly at these issues and they are going at them more directly than they ever have before. And yesterday, Trump kind of hinted that we are not going to be in this stage For too much longer, he released a few statements yesterday. I want to read this one. Well, it's finally happened. The late, great Thomas Jefferson, one of our most important founding fathers and a principal writer of the Constitution of the United States, is being evicted from the magnificent New York City Council Chamber. Who would have thought this would ever be possible? I did and called it long ago. Next up, Benjamin Franklin Abraham Lincoln, and of course, George Washington. The radical left has gone crazy and it's hurting our country badly. But someday soon, sane people will be back and our country will be respected again. I like that a lot. I hope that someday soon is much sooner (laughs) than all of the soons we've felt like it would be before. And it really does feel like things are coming to a head. I don't know how long all of this will take, and I don't know if it'll ever resolve itself in the way all of us want to, in some great big reveal where we all get to finally have the last laugh and say to all these commies who have tried to torment us for all this time, 
Ha ha, commie. I told you the whole damn time. I told you. I mean, listen, one way or another, the truth is coming out and we will be proven right. But it might happen in the way that the Wuhan lab news has come out, comes out very, very slowly in bits and pieces. And it comes out in such a way that it never shocks anybody. People just gradually decide that it's okay to believe it. And so they eventually do. And there's almost no uh, joy in that for all of us who've been on that page for a year and a half. You don't get that moment where you're like, yeah, you see that? I told you it was the lab. Because right now you've got like the CCP awarding million dollar prizes to people who have studied the origins and determined that it was actually all natural. So you get those headlines right alongside all of the headlines about the Wuhan lab and Fauci funding it and Collins funding it and the gain of function research and eco health Alliance and all the elements of that claim. We know them all. We know they're all true, but we never get that satisfaction. And that's very frustrating, but You got to like when Trump says it's going to come soon. I hope he's right. And of course, he's referring to the very fine people speech, actually, in this post, in this statement. In that speech, he talked about how the people in Charlottesville, some of them, he made very clear that he was not referring to neo-Nazis and white nationalists when he said there were fine people on both sides. He said it explicitly right after that. Now, I'm not talking about neo-Nazis and white nationalists because they should be condemned completely. I think I actually have him word for word. It could be wrong, but I think that's verbatim. In that same speech, he was talking about how the actual good, decent people that were at that event simply didn't want to see the statue of Robert E. Lee taken down because he didn't want to see history torn down history, good or bad is still history and we can still learn from it. And he opined that next it would be Thomas Jefferson or George Washington because both of them had owned slaves. And I think it was actually Jim Acosta trying to challenge him from, you know, the press section. And Trump said it explicitly. Eventually, it will get to this point. Lo and behold, here we are. So last night, the select committee on January 6th voted to hold Steve Bannon in criminal contempt for not complying with a subpoena that this farce of a committee doesn't even really have the power to enforce. They basically voted that they want the DOJ to do this. Now, the DOJ probably cannot do this and probably will not do this. But if they do, then that's just another unconstitutional authoritarian tactic that is befitting of a banana republic dictatorship. And of course, it won't work no matter what. But Benny Thompson took to Rachel Maddow to bask in the glory of their moment after all of the mainstream media televised the committee meeting. And they went down the row as each one of the communists on the committee voted that, yes, we must take this solemn measure to hold people accountable for the horrors of January 6th. Steve Bannon, he said things on TV, and that's what caused this. So now we need to make sure he's punished. Uh, Ignored the process. And basically, for whatever reason, uh, he's still trying to follow Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is not president. Uh, He... He can sue all he wants to. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, his intimidations through lawsuits uh, won't get him anywhere with our committee uh, because we firmly believe that we're on sound footing. It's kind of amazing to me that they always admit the thing that they are doing while accusing someone else of doing it. He's basically saying that 
Trump's lawsuit is meant to intimidate the committee. That's crazy. Trump's lawsuit is to enforce the law. These subpoenas, on the other hand, are absolutely meant to intimidate the people receiving subpoenas, particularly Steve Bannon. This vote to try to hold him in criminal contempt is nothing but an intimidation tactic. And Benny Thompson is trying to claim and support the legitimacy of what the committee is doing. And at the same time is trying to reaffirm that they are on sound legal footing to do it. That doesn't sound like confidence. That's an admission of doubt and illegitimacy. If the committee was legitimate and they were doing something legitimate and lawful, he wouldn't have to explain the legitimacy. And there was one other really interesting clip from this interview. And by the way, I got to just give a hat tip to uh, Midnight Rider, uh, Carly Bond, who always, always, always has all of the relevant clips from cable news throughout a day. I cannot stand to watch cable news, but getting little chunks of it so you can see what their narrative is, is actually really important. And also, just the visual factor alone and listening to their voice, watching their facial expressions, that stuff's actually really important because you can see that they have no confidence in what they're saying at all. They are in full-blown panic for good reason. Have you learned things that surprise you? Have you learned things that the rest of us don't know about how those events came together and what kind of risk we were at as a country? Well, we absolutely have. Uh, obviously, I can't tell you, uh, Rachel, uh, but we have thousands of pages of information that we've been supplied. Uh, our attorneys are going over it. Our researchers are going over it. Uh, our committee is briefed on a daily basis as to what information uh, is forthcoming. And so uh, in the pursuit of getting to the facts, uh, we have to have access to Department of Defense records, White House records, Homeland Security, Department of Interior records, all of those records uh, we're in the process of getting. Now, the first part of that is hilarious. Rachel Maddow is intentionally asking a question that she doesn't want answered. Right. She says, I know you can't really answer this question, but have you learned anything that we don't know? Is there some big secret waiting to come out? Are you going to cut a trailer? (laughs) Are you going to get the movie guy to do the voiceover? You thought you knew everything about the Capitol insurrection. But what if there was something more? And then Benny Thompson, this clown, is just like, well, yes. I mean, obviously, we can't tell you what it is. We can't release this kind of info. I know it's extremely important to everyone in the entire country so that we can avoid another insurrection like this. But, you know, we're going to hold on to it for a little while. It's that important. We just can't talk about it. But here's the thing. So Benny Thompson runs through a list of different agencies that he is trying to get documents from. He wants all sorts of information about all sorts of stuff. And they're using this committee to get all that stuff. And it seems like that information is really the point of all this. They want a justification to try to figure out things that they cannot figure out. And if you like me, have read Patel Patriot's Devolution series, if you think that a scenario like that might be in effect, then from the other side, what you would want is to know every possible aspect of that scenario to the best of your ability. So you would set up something like this committee that had no Republicans on it whatsoever, except for um, the permanently crying Adam Kinzinger and Dick Cheney's idiot daughter. Those are the only Republicans. So this is an entirely one-sided committee. 
they want information that they otherwise don't have access to. It should be extremely obvious that they don't need to solve a mystery about what happened on January 6th. Every single person on that committee already knows what happened on January 6th. They're not some child-brained communist who's watching Rachel Maddow at home to try to figure out what's going on. They have better access to information than Rachel Maddow's audience does. I'm sure Rachel Maddow actually does know what happened on January 6th as well. Unless she's completely irresponsible, she has probably read Darren Beatty's work telling you what has happened on January 6th, explaining the unindicted co-conspirators, explaining the federal government's role, or I should say federal agency's role, the FBI's role specifically, in conjunction with the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, all of the extremist groups, in quotes, that were involved in that day. You would think Rachel Maddow would know about that, but it's certainly true that everyone on that committee knows that January 6th was not a violent insurrection by Trump supporters looking to overthrow the government because Trump commanded them to. They know that for sure. So there is no mystery that they need to solve. So why are they going through the process? Well, part of it is a show for sure. And you see things like the uh, the vote to recommend to the DOJ that they hold Steve Bannon criminally in contempt. That vote gets televised. Everybody involved in the vote knows the truth about January 6th, and they still vote to do this anyway, which obviously signals their corruption immediately. But it also shows them to simply be acting. They're all pretending that they are taking this solemn but necessary step to protect the republic. But they know that's not what they're doing. So everything they're doing is fake. They are literally just acting like they did in that initial hearing where Adam Schiff and Adam Kinzinger openly wept as they talked to the very brave Capitol police officers who are totally unaccountable to the people and who were absolutely 100% involved in the events of that day and the way they've been portrayed in the media. We can't simply act like just because these people are dumb and dishonest that they don't actually know what we know they know. They don't need the 1-6 committee to figure out anything about 1-6. So what do they need it for? They want information they can't get otherwise. And if I was them and I was staring down a future of prison at best for committing crimes against the country, in addition to all of the other crimes, I would probably be doing every single thing I could to figure out exactly what the plan was that would eventually hold me accountable. And, you know, the same goes for like the Q stuff too. It's fine for all of these people to say that Q is a deranged conspiracy theory. All good. But are they acting like they think it's a deranged conspiracy theory? No, of course not. Acting like it's a deranged conspiracy theory would usually just mean they ignore it. I mean, there are some pretty out there conspiracy theories like lizard people in dumbs to me still sounds pretty crazy. But hey, it's the fall of 2021 and we have seen a whole lot of things that I thought were crazy before be 100% real. And we're in a position right now where the government and corporations are actively trying to kill people. So I'm not really in a position to deny any of these theories, but I don't spend any time on it because there's nothing that I could do with it. Likewise, if these communists thought that all the Q stuff was fake, why not just ignore it? 
And of course, they would say, well, it's very dangerous disinformation that's causing violent insurrections to which a smart person would be like, not nah, isn't <laughs> like, no, it isn't. Have you ever looked at it? That's not what it is. Am I saying I believe in all of it or I think all of it is what other people say it is? I don't know, but I do know it's not the way you're pretending it is and it's not causing violence. It's actually just causing people to wake up to ideas that were previously hidden from them. And to that extent, it's just fine. Oh no, what is he saying? <laughs> yeah, it's so scary, commies. It's so scary. Oh, the ideas, they're so dangerous. You clowns. But in thinking about what the goal of the 1-6 committee actually is, and in their attempt to gain information, one of the steps that Joe Biden took was to deny that Donald Trump could exercise executive privilege over the records concerning 1-6. And Trump said that that could come around to actually bite Biden. And I think the assumption is that he's saying once Biden is out of office as fake president, this whole executive privilege thing, the denial of executive privilege might come around to hurt Joe Biden. But I wonder if what he's actually talking about is executive privilege that may have been asserted while Joe Biden was vice president. Because we know that on January 5th, 2017, Joe Biden and Barack Obama were in the room suggesting that Michael Flynn be accused of violating the Hatch Act. Joe Biden brought that up. That might be something that was hidden from the Trump administration due to executive privilege, which Donald Trump chose to respect. Donald Trump certainly could have gone through all the records of the uh, Obama-Biden administration and found evidence of rampant criminality, I have no doubt whatsoever. But he didn't. I wonder if that's the stuff that he might be referring to in the future, because I imagine that <laughs> Joe Biden's records, Joe Biden's involvement with decision-making right now is probably uh, minimal. And speaking of the January 6th, very violent insurrection, boom, segue, this is from Julie Kelly in American Greatness on Monday, but I wanted to be sure that I mentioned this at some point. New Capitol video contradicts Justice Department media narrative on January 6th. Over the objection of Joe Biden's Justice Department, a lengthy video clip showing U.S. Capitol Police allowing hundreds of people into the building on the afternoon of January 6th has been released to the public. In July, Ethan Nordine, an alleged Proud Boy member, charged for various crimes now held in a Seattle jail awaiting trial, petitioned the court to remove the, quote, highly sensitive designation on surveillance video that recorded Nordine entering the building with permission by U.S. Capitol Police, a group called Press Coalition, representing news organizations including CNN, The New York Times, and three major broadcast news networks, filed a motion in September to intervene in Nordine's case and make the video footage public. The full recording was posted on Twitter by BuzzFeed reporter Zoe Tillman this morning. Capturing the activity in a small hallway on the Upper West Side Terrace of the Capitol Building, the clip runs from 2.25 p.m. until about 3 p.m. This is about 10 minutes after Dominic Pizzola, another alleged Proud Boy, used a riot shield to smash a window and right after U.S. House and Senate chambers were evacuated. At the start of the video, one officer held open the interior door that accesses the Capitol Rotunda, a space between the House and Senate wings. Five or six unidentified men exited the door and spoke to the officer before leaving. Those men held open the exterior double doors where protesters began filing into the building. Nordine's lawyer said his client is recording is recorded entering the building with the consent of police between 2.37 and 2.38 p.m. Capitol Police officers stood in the small hallway between the exterior and interior doors for the next few minutes. Dozens of people entered as police did not attempt to stop them. 
At one point, several officers can be seen talking with a crowd of people attempting to come inside. One officer then pulled aside another officer speaking with the protesters. This appeared to be shortly after Ashley Babbitt was shot by Officer Michael Byrd outside the speaker's lobby, and the officers retreated. Protesters followed the officers inside. The recording confirms what Senator Ron Johnson detailed in a letter to Yogananda Pittman, the former acting head of the Capitol Police, sent in June. Johnson, one of the few members of Congress with access to the secret recordings, estimated 309 protesters entered the building at the Upper West Terrace without resistance from Capitol Police. The footage, a slice of the 14,000 hours of surveillance video that the Department of Justice and Capitol Police want kept under strict protective orders, clearly contradicts many of the government's allegations about what happened on January 6th. Hundreds of January 6th defendants have been charged with trespassing or parading in the Capitol when this video clearly proves law enforcement held open doors and did not stop protesters from coming inside. Nordine is accused of, quote, forcibly entering the building. He faces two felony counts for conspiracy and obstruction of an official proceeding. He's been incarcerated since his arrest last February. His trial is set for May 2022. Now that in itself is horrible. 15 months in prison awaiting trial for something he should not be in prison at all for and should not be on trial for. But despite that, nothing could possibly be clearer at this point than the fact that the very violent insurrection was absolutely not anything like the media and the Uniparty have described it. It just isn't. There's a reason why I've made fun of it every day since it happened. The very violent insurrection was not particularly violent, and it was not in the least an insurrection. There's a big piece I was reading in The Atlantic today by one of their prominent writers, David Graham, where he is trying to analogize the very violent insurrection with the Confederacy's lost cause. He actually wants Americans to believe that the group of people protesting the certification of fraudulent electors sent to the Electoral College is somehow an outgrowth of the Confederacy of the South in the Civil War and of the KKK. Perhaps he might consider that the person who those electors were certifying as the next president was himself mentored by a Klansman and that the party he's supporting in the defrauding of the election is actually the party of the Klan and of Jim Crow and of the Confederacy. And surely a very educated writer at the very astute Atlantic would know that. So why is he pretending it's otherwise? And finally, I want to share this from Zero Hedge. Because between this and the whole booster shot thing and the whole mixed and matched booster shot thing, it's pretty clear that they are just trying to kill people at this point. There is no argument whatsoever that mixing and matching the experimental gene therapies is advisable for the health of the population. And they're not going to say that it's safe or effective. They're only going to say it produces more antibodies. Because the truth is, what they want is to have everyone subjected to taking the mRNA vaccines. Okay, so this is from uh, Zero Hedge today. White House details plan to quickly vaccinate 28 million children aged 5 to 11. The Biden administration on Wednesday unveiled its plan to quickly vaccinate roughly 28 million children aged 5 to 11 pending authorization from the Food and Drug Administration. Isn't that interesting? The Biden administration already has a plan to get shots in arms of all of these kids with something the FDA has not approved. And let's remember, right now, no one in the United States of America 
has received a shot that was FDA approved. It doesn't matter what the media said a couple months ago about Pfizer and getting the approval from the FDA. That's not what happened. The FDA approved community, which is simply not available. Is it the same thing? They say it is. But it turns out that the one they're giving people is still only available under an emergency use authorization so that Pfizer doesn't have to take on any liability for the product that they're having injected in people's arms. And that also means that no one is allowed to mandate that you take it. Back to Zero Hedge. The jab, which doesn't prevent transmission of COVID-19, will be available at pediatricians, local pharmacies, and possibly even at schools, according to the White House, which expects FDA authorization of the Pfizer shot for children, the least likely to fall seriously ill or die from the virus in a matter of weeks, according to the Associated Press. Federal regulators will meet over the next two weeks to weigh the benefits of giving shots to kids after lengthy studies meant to ensure the safety of vaccines. Within hours of formal approval, expected after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advisory meeting scheduled for November 2nd and 3rd, doses will begin shipping to providers across the country, along with smaller needles necessary for injecting young kids, and within days will be ready to go into the arms of kids on a wide scale. According to the announcement, the White House has secured enough to supply more than 25,000 doses for pediatricians and primary care physicians who have already signed up to deliver the vaccine, while the country now has enough Pfizer vaccine to jab roughly 28 million kids who will soon be eligible, meaning this won't be a slow rollout like we saw 10 months ago when doses and capacity issues meant adults had to wait. Meanwhile, the White House is rolling out an advertising campaign to convince parents and kids that the vaccine is safe and effective. According to the report, the administration believes trusted messengers, educators, doctors, and community leaders will be vital to encouraging vaccinations. And pausing for a second, this is how they roll out everything. Always community leaders, trusted messengers. What this means is that they will put out an influence program on social media, and on television to try to convince everybody that they must get their kids vaccinated. They're going to go out and find pop stars and YouTubers and TikTok stars and athletes, and they are going to advertise directly to your children. And they are going to tell the children that they should be scared of a virus that they are unlikely to get and that they are unlikely to get sick from and almost definitely not going to die from. They will scare those kids so that the kids will actually sell the idea to the parents. The kids will want it. Their friends will have it. It'll seem like a cool new pair of sneakers. It'll seem like the latest iPhone or whatever it is that kids like. They're going to make it a luxury brand. They're going to sell it like it's a luxury brand. They're going to create demand for it. And then they'll have the kids convince the parents that they're very scared. And the only way they won't be scared is to get the vaccine. And thinking about what places like Virginia are doing with people's kids. Do you really think these Virginia schools, for instance, are going to be worried about getting the parents permission to inject the kids? Of course not. They've already spent time justifying why they don't need to even inform parents about major decisions that their kids are making, aka decisions their kids are being pressured into by a bunch of malicious communists. COVID has also disrupted our kids' lives. It's made school harder. It's disrupted their ability to see friends and family. It's made youth sports more challenging, said Surgeon General Vivek Murthy in a Wednesday statement to NBC. Getting our kids vaccinated, we have the prospect of protecting them, but also getting all of those activities back that are so important to our children. According to Murthy, 
The administration is leaving the question of mandates for school, local and state officials. Oh, how generous. Those are decisions when it comes to school requirements that are made by localities and by states, said Murthy. You've already seen some localities and states talk about vaccine requirements for kids. And I think it's a reasonable thing to consider to get those vaccination rates high. And it's also consistent with what we've done for other childhood vaccines like measles, mumps and polio. Of course, those have been around for decades and this one's been around for a few months. And have they tested it on kids? Eh, sort of. How have the results been? Well, really terrible, except they still get to say that the vaccines created antibodies. And we can assume that if the child were to ever get COVID, those antibodies might help the child get rid of COVID, except children already do that. The death rate for a child infected with the coronavirus is under like one in a hundred thousand. This is madness. They are basically going around and taking innocent young children and potentially destroying their health for the rest of their lives. And truthfully, we already know that there are issues from these vaccines with uh, menstruation and reproductive capacity. To do that to a child, to take away the prospect, potentially, of them ever reproducing, of them ever having children, is a cruelty beyond imagination. But hey, that's the science, right? That's the science. The U.S. government has purchased 65 million doses of the Pfizer pediatric shot, which is expected to contain one third of the dosage for adults and adolescents. The FDA's Independent Advisory Committee will meet October 26th to consider authorizing the Pfizer shot for children aged 5 to 11. To top it all off, CDC Chief Rochelle Walensky says her agency will still recommend that children wear masks in schools even after the vaccine is approved for kids. So I guess we have it all, don't we? There is absolutely nothing about this that even hints that these people care at all about the health of these children, about the well-being of these children or of society at large. These people have done absolutely nothing since the beginning to convince anyone that they should be trusted. They have lied the entire time. Every single one of their recommendations has been wrong. It has been the opposite of what's right. It's not a little wrong. It wasn't wrong in the moment, but they were giving it the best shot they could. It's been wrong the entire time. It could always only ever be wrong because they are saying the exact opposite of what they should be saying, and they are doing it intentionally. And at some point, you got to wonder why. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com.
You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!